Jones of Mars. Katmatui of Gorgar. Ronnie Raymond of Earth. Al Brett of Earth. Ginny Lindney. Arthur Curry. Carter Hall. Kendra Saunders. Ted Gord. Arani Desai. Paco Ramon. Hank Haywood. David Knight. Erwin Bowen. Wesley Dodds. Charles McNighter. Terry Sloan. Tara Markov. Ten years ago, a crashing wave of light erupted across the DC universe. A multicolored spectrum of energy bathed the cosmos in a war of light. Rage clashed against passion. Hope sought to stifle fear. Greed to choke out compassion. And in the middle of it all, the will to keep going and fight for all. Now this war has come to the surface of our planet because while the light fights, the darkness rises. Hero, villain, friend, foe, family. Across the universe, the dead have risen, and it's going to take every available podcaster to fight back. In 2016, we covered the dawn of the Justice League with Justice League Year One. In 2017, we soaked in the seminal justice. Last year, we threw it back to the Silver Age. But this year's JLMA podcast event covers an event that knows not the boundaries of death itself. JL May covers Blackest Night in celebration of the event's 10-year anniversary. Our coverage begins on April 30th with the podcast of Oa and proceeds through the entire month of May with Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, The Idlehead of Diablo, The Fire and Water Podcast, Head Speaks, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Task Force X, the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, the Dr. DC Podcast, the Birds of Prey Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, and ends with the Lantern Cast. So join us this May, because across the DC Universe, the dead have risen. Where will you be? In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones.
hands dare That sapphire love and black hands glove Will rock your foundation without hesitation Chad and Mars face evil's minds Respect their power Everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 363. That's right. What are we what are we talking about tonight? I, I keep forgetting. War of the Green Lanterns? Um is that, that yeah, is it the Krona bullshit? It's always Krona. Yeah, it is. It is I don't think I want to talk about uh, Krona. Uh Doomsday <laughs> Are we, are, 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 this is our spoiler-filled guessing how spo- how the last two issues of Doomsday Clock will end when they come out in, in 2021. No, yeah, I don't have no. I don't have yeah I don't have time to to guess what's going to happen in <laughs> several several years. So, the <sighs> issue ten did technically come out today, so there's a chance it might actually finish in 2019. True. Yeah, true. Uh no, uh it is J L friggin May. I don't think that's a part of the hashtag. Sorry for people. Uh, it, it can be a second hashtag. <laughs> uh so yeah, it is J L May, and we are wrapping this bad boy up. If you have not listened to the multitude of other uh podcasts covering J L May and uh, doing the tenth anniversary of Blackest Freaking Night. Then you have missed out, my friend, because we're covering issues 7 and 8 of Blackest Night as well as Green Lantern 52, which is the end of the event. So if you're jumping in here, you have gotten sorely lost, and you need to hightail it back on over to the podcast of OA. Listen to <laughs> Blackest Night Zero and Green Lantern 43 be covered by Myron and Phil over there. Then follow that up with Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. Then the Idlehead of Diablo. Then Fire and Water Podcast. Head Speaks. Coffee and Comics. Longbox Crusade. Then maybe come back here. But there's also like a bunch of other tie-in stuff that's been covered over on like Task Force X and Coffee and Comics and the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour and the Dr. DC Podcast and the Birds of Prey Podcast that you may want to stick around and just listen to some of their coverage too. And uh, by the way, as we record this, some of the other stuff hasn't yet come out but will between the time I say these words and the time you hear them. So Waiting for Doom covered the Doom Patrol issues. Um, Justice's First Dawn covered the Justice League issues. The Bat Pod is covering the Blackest Night Batman miniseries. The Absolute DC Podcast is covering the Blackest Night Flash miniseries. And Michael Bailey, you know, Fortress of Bailey 2 and all that good stuff, he helped us talk about Emerald Dawn 1 way back when. He's over on It All Comes Back to Superman. He's covering Blackest Night Superman 1 through 3, the miniseries. So, like... Even as I say these words, the, between the time I say them and the time you hear them, hopefully on the day it releases, there's still a bunch of other stuff that just hit that you still need to listen to. Now, presumably, if you're already a listener of the Lantern cast, you know about Blackest Night. We're not going to give you the full event recap because I just gave you where to find the various pieces to figure out what the heck has been happening. But before we get into our stuff... 
we figured we should talk a little bit about maybe our memories of the event uh, and kind of what, uh, you know, how we were experiencing it, where we were sort of at in the comics world when this was coming out and sort of how we reacted to it as it as it hit. Mark, I mean, I know you've been reading since uh, Emerald Twilight, you know, the, that sort of era. Well, I know we you weren't part of the Lantern cast yet. Well, what were you thinking of uh, Blackest Night? I mean, the March to Blackest Night. Yeah, the March to Blackest Night, I would say, because I feel like if you were a Green Lantern fan like we were, where we were picking up like Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps and then all this other stuff that was coming out around there, uh, basically basically the time Green Lantern 26 until Blackest Night, essentially. Now, to me, I look – I see, I look at this it, – It's it all falls into the same, I guess, prism to view things through. If, and we still actually we still have another Jeff Johns retrospective actually because this, this just reminded me of this because uh, in a way Blackest Night kind of this period is kind of like Jeff Johns at his peak regardless of whether people like whether you're someone who liked his stories or not in this era the peak of Jeff Johns as far as the success and and overall the way people were were taking to his stories and the impact that they had pretty much from Sinestro Corps War through the end of Blackest Night. That was the that was like the golden age of Jeff Johns, and arguably it was the golden age from a popularity perspective of Green Lantern. Certainly in the modern era, I don't think there's much. And based on merchandising, Q factor, uh, pop culture overall uh, influence, I think that absolutely was. So I have fond memories of that period just because of that. But the build, but the the way this the way Sinestro Corps War ended with that with that preview. Of Blackest Night, which which we you know, but they gave you the bare bones about what was going to happen in Blackest Night. Obviously, you knew it had something to do with the, you know the anti what was left of the anti monitor <laughs> being trapped in that being trapped, and you know the whole I think in like in two thousand nine the dead you know the dead shall rise the dead will rise that the build up to Blackest Night I have I am very very fond of I have fond memories of I remember everything from and obviously because. You have strong ties to it too because of the Rage of the Red Lanterns, but everything from post post Sinestro Corps War, Rage of the Red Lanterns, introducing the Red Lanterns and the Blue Lanterns, Lorfleas, you know, in the Agent Orange storyline, everything, and of course even before this hit, we, and they were, and this became such a a full DC event, which Sinestro Corps War really wasn't, but it had, but it became so popular, and, and obviously there were other characters other than Green Lantern in the Green Lantern Corps in it, that it did kind of like, it kind of started, the way it wrapped up, it kind of reached out and affected so many more characters and was a bigger story. I think that just the idea how big this event was and the in, and the interest in it and the introduction of all the different cores and what the, Bla- and what the Black Lantern Corps was going to be, and of course the San Diego Comic-Con, I think when I think of build up to Blackest Night and Blackest Night, I think of the San Diego Comic Con, those five figures that were available. That set, uh, which I was lucky enough to get, and a great buy it now. You know, make your best offer, I should say. It was a be- make your best offer, and luckily they accepted. So yeah, that. So I have very fond memories, and it was every time previews came out, it was new merchandise. We just waited to see what new Green Lantern, or whether whether it was the first wave of uh, T-shirts that came out, which were still probably the best related to the multi-color core and the Spectrum, the Legends of the 
but the DCU, the uh, Blackest Night, the Legends of the DCU bus line or whatever it is, which I have a, bus, a bunch of, I just think that was – so when I think of Blackest Night, even more than the the events in story, I think of what it meant for Green Lantern personally, and I think of just how it – how that whole two – pretty much that two-year period and four-year period if you go back to – four- to five-year period if you go back from the beginning of Green Lantern Rebirth through – Blackest Night. That pretty much, unfortunately, though there were good, have been good stories since. That even once we headed into the Brightest Day era, it kind of Green Lantern kind of had already peaked and was on its way down again. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned it earlier. Uh, you know, I started reading comics. You know, after picking up two random trades at a bookstore. You know, I went to a local comic shop and picked up the first issue Green Lantern related I could find that was currently on the stands. And it was the Final Crisis, Rage of the Red Lanterns one-shot special. So the march to Blackest Night quite literally began was, – was my entry point into comics as a regular reader. Uh, that is, I believe, the basically the, the issue right after Secret Origin, which is a weird time <laughs> for a comics fan, I guess, to get in. It would have been better maybe to get in with the beginning of the Secret Origin story arc that took place between Rage of the Red Lanterns and the Sinestro Corps War. But uh, whatever. Um, so the march to the march to that man, the 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 I just the the sheer thirst I had for trying to figure out and understand everything, right, is all this other stuff was also being revealed for the first time. It was just like I felt like I was getting in on the ground floor and that I was like super behind at the same time. And discovering the Lantern cast and, you know, all of that, you know, really helped me keep up. Uh, you know, I, I found a community I could I could listen to and, and enjoy and, and, and follow along with, ask questions as I had them. And you had Reg of the Red Lanterns, and you had uh, Agent the the Agent Orange four issue story arc, and you had man Green Green Lantern Corps had that Sense of the Star Sapphires uh, story arc that was also really good. Uh, I mean, just everything was just hitting on all cylinders. And you know, when Blackest Night hit, like I, I the free comic book day issue was Blackest Night number zero, and I remember that being a a big deal for me at the time because not only was that my first uh, free comic book day, it was also uh, you know it, it, it's rare on free comic book day to get something wholly original, and a lot of a lot of times it's going to be your your standard um, uh, anthology series or double sided reprints or you know uh, maybe a sneak peek of something coming down the line, but also maybe like four pages of that and then the rest of it reprints or something else. Like this was a full, you know, a full, almost a full issue. Black Knight number zero was almost a full issue um, that kicked off this event that we'd been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for. And, uh, and that even though I was new to the comics world, that, that felt, that felt pretty unique. And this is, I mean, I just, I had decided to just go whole hog with this thing, man. Like I, I don't still have them all, but I have a good a good amount of them. Uh, at the time, several years ago, I had every single issue, every like every single a copy of every single floppy, every tie-in, every resurrected tile, every mini series, every issue of of this series, and I still have a lot of it. I still have obviously all the Green Lantern, all the Green Lantern Corps, all the Blackest Night, um, the you know most of the 
the most of the other things, uh, but missing a few things here and there. But man, uh, another thing I kind of wanted to pivot to is JL May has always been about the Justice League. And I think some people might have uh, skipped JLMA this year because this is more of a Green Lantern story than a Justice League story or a DC Universe story. And I'd argue against that. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely a DC Universe story. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's, it, it's, and it's absolutely mired in, in Green Lantern lore and the stuff that had been building up in the Green Lantern series. Uh, so you can't escape either of those statements. But at the same time, I find it – I find it like you're going to be hard-pressed to find events from the modern era that aren't mired in one character or another. A lot of them are going to be – maybe it involves the DCU or involves the Justice League, but it's going to be Batman-heavy or Superman-heavy or whatever. As a good example, and I know they're the competition, but look right now what's happening at Marvel. The big event right now is War of the Realms, right from the title who do you think that's most mired in? It's a Thor and Asgard themed arc. It involves the Marvel universe and crosses over into a bunch of other Marvel titles, but it is a Thor heavy Thor centric book. So, I mean, it's, you're, it's, it's sort of the, 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 now I granted jail may has only been going for four years now. So I say only four years, after helping arrange this, it's it's a miracle how long it's been going because it's it's you try wrangling a bunch of podcasts. Um, but that being said, uh, we may not have covered every crossover that ever has has happened, but you know it, it was just it was such a good timing, such good timing. We we aligned up perfectly with the tenth anniversary of of blackest night you and i had did did say we wanted to do something for the 10th anniversary of blackest night and it just so happens you know what happens in the first saturday of may free comic book day what started with a free comic book day issue blackest night and 10 years i mean that it's it marks the 10 year anniversary so it was it was absolutely perfect so i, I just I had to say, all right, this, you know, why do JL, why, why, why do make a big deal out of JL May at the exact same time we'd be making a big deal out of Blackest Night? Let's just make it one and the same and bring in everybody to have as much fun as possible. But in addition to that, kind of, I, I kind of got sidetracked from my point. It's such a DC universe story. I know, I know it's lantern heavy. You, you just look at every cover and you see rings. I get it. I understand it. But, if you go, I mean, outside of the lanterns, and by lanterns I just mean the lanterns you already know, not the ones that get deputized later. You have Mara, and you have the Atom, and you have Flash. There's such huge story arcs happening with those guys in this in in these arcs. Um, the 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 inclusion and the link that Batman has to everybody in the universe uh in, in the dc universe that is mentioned in this story how that connection is used against them uh and you know batman in quotes the stuff that happens between the super families uh are probably some of the more interesting stuff that happens in this title um you know some of my favorite uh things that happen in during blackest night occur during like maybe the 
uh, in, in, in the, the the Superman miniseries where Cal L of Earth Two comes back and fights against Superman and Connor, and there's that that whole stuff that that, that thing that that happens with um, with Psycho Pirate in those issues, and then uh, the Adventure Comics issues where you follow Superboy Prime on his Earth and the stuff that he goes through. I mean, there's 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 you know the Black Lantern Lois Lane. I mean, there's I know those are just tie-ins, but there's a reason they're focused uh, on the Wonder Woman. My God, how many how many different times did we mention the sheer beauty of the art in the Wonder Woman miniseries after the coverage of Blackest Night ended? I mean, I if you point to beautiful art, you just look at the cover to Blackest Night Wonder Woman number three, the painted cover of her as a star sapphire. I mean, just and that's that may be just art, but there's just there's so much DC in this thing, and there's so much focus put on these characters outside of the main lanterns. But like I said, with Mara and the Atom and Flash, um, that it's just I don't I don't I don't see how how it's not a a great Justice League sort of story. Sure, it's like it's yeah, it's lantern heavy, but I, I'm rambling. I'll, I'll let you sort of pick up the ball and run with it here, and, and maybe kind of flesh out the point a little bit. But I really get the feeling it's such it's such a strong DC story, such a strong Justice League presence here. I agree. I I, th- I think there is. I mean, when you when you and, I, and it actually was and it's it's and again it shows you the jet the importance or the presence Jeff Johns had at that time and also what they what they felt they had going with Green Lantern to begin with to do an event which was at its core no pun intended was revolving around Green Lantern centric ideas but to make to but to do a whole major major event in which yes it reached out it absolutely reached out and, and covered all the areas of the DCU, but still it was being based on you know key key Green Lantern themes and elements were driving the story forward. The fact that they decided to do that when I mean come on we've seen you know we've seen countless different events or that even if the core focus wasn't on just Superman or Batman, but we knew that that at the end of the day yeah that's what people tended to remember. That is always oh, the, the moments involving in, involving those heroes, like Final Crisis and things like that, or even even uh, Infinite Crisis uh, too. You know that that did have some cool Green Lantern moments as well. But Jeff wrote it, so that would make sense. But the, I think it, one of the things I liked about Blackest Night was because so many events had miniseries that really mean nothing at all. That and not, I don't, and I don't necessarily mean that they mean nothing as far that they're not just not just that they mean nothing to the main story. That like you you lose nothing if you just follow the main story. If you don't read any of the minis, but even in as far as the characters or the fallout in there with the, with the characters in these minis, the, the stars of them, that there's that you don't get any, you get no, you feel there's nothing that happens in them even if even if you're reading them that there's nothing of relevance to it. It's like well, uh. but I think because of the nature of Blackest Night, while well, yes, they were a gazillion tie-ins and i know i do not have them all but but i did have the superman i think i did i think i had wonder woman i think there were a bunch that there were a bunch that i did have 
that the way the way the black rings worked and the way they were you know they that everybody who was resur- quote unquote resurrected had all the memories of the of what the real person the real characters had i think that added an element to it there was something personal to it and you saw the impact just like even like you kind of mentioned how the and we'll get and that obviously pops up a little bit more towards the end of uh, blackest night the idea of using using uh, the tethering the Bruce, the, the connection to Bruce Wayne or Bruce Wayne in quotes, that using that as such a strong tether and have that have that connects to everybody in the in, in the DCU. I yeah you know, I I can understand. I mean everybody has their interests, so I can understand if some people did not you know were, either were not reading Green Lantern at the time or didn't really or the the the, the theme or the way the concepts that were being laid out in this book that related to Green Lantern uh, core ideas. Very, and very dark and very bleak is a lot yeah. is, a, is, a, is a big um, detractor a lot of people will put towards the series. It's just so dark. It's so bleak. But it, true. Though it was clearly designed that way because especially if you go back right. and I, have, I was looking at the, direct, the Blackest Night director's cut when I was pulling these books for us when we were going to do these that I went back and looked at that, and basically that that issue has the entire I think script for Black, like Blackest Night wanted it, including some things that didn't make it in and sketchbooks and everything. But that's I think the way I think Jeff began the description on like in his script that you know this is this is a horror story, so feel free to make it as you know to make it as dark and show as much as you feel comfortable with. But if but also you know if if need be use the shadows you know to hide anything that's like really really bad or something you think is pushing the envelope. Those were his instructions when we you know when he was writing the script. So I I think that this. Well, if you, again, yes, I can understand some criticism, and it is. I'm personally, I think it's a little nitpicky to, to think that oh my god, there's an event focused around somebody other than Superman and Batman. It's absolutely a DCU story, and it was set up to have impact clearly all throughout the DCU, not just Earth, not just you know, not just Green Lantern characters, not just the, the main, you know, the like the big three or the big four. Since Hal was borderline, we've talked about this before. That Hal was probably more closer to being in the Trinity at this point than ever before. And this and this based on stories that were being told with this character. But considering how much Hawkman and, and Adam and you know and Manhunter and all these and all these characters mm-hmm. and, and even some of the relatively not obscure in the cosmic scheme of things, but just obscure based on where they were at the time in DCU, like bringing back, you know, like when we saw like Black Lantern by Jean Paul Valley as real <laughs> So the, Black Lantern in an airwave. Yes, there were there were some <laughs> yeah. really really cool obscure lanterns. I mean, uh, Black Lanterns that were brought back, and I think that so you you could tell that besides that it took some creativity, like, they had fun with it, and they embraced they embraced what this was, and and yeah, I I I, I like Blackest Night. I'm not gonna lie, I think I and I've said this before, and when we've when we've talked about this on the show and at different points, probably a long time ago now, that. I kind of think Blackest Night kind of peaked in the middle. I don't think it – even though there were some cool things obviously we're going to be talking about in this episode, that cool moments that happened towards the tail end of this event. But I think as far as the the story goes, the overall story goes, I think it may have peaked in the middle. I think personally they revealed – they had the Necron revealed too early. Mm. Uh, I think – It was I, also spoiled. Yeah, it was, it was spoiled. 
it was mm-hmm. it was spoiled, but but that was their own that was their own choice too. <laughs> I mean, they could have had a different cover. <laughs> I know well, why you wanted yeah, that. Yeah, that. I mean, yeah, that's true. But they also, I mean, it wasn't just spoiled on a solicit. It was also spoiled on like one. I think one of maybe like the checklist cards that you saw at your local comic shop. Like, oh yeah, you're right. I think yeah. I remember that now. But again, that but that falls on them too. But yes, overall, it, it seemed like there. Too much to me. If, if if I'm critiquing it, it seemed like a lot. There was a lot of stuff building up to what was going on to the power. So I think the power battery got full too quick. And think about how much of the story took place after. Even in, in the actual, even in Green Lantern. I mean, excuse me. Even in Blackest Night proper in the miniseries or the maxi series, how many issues took place after the central, the Black Lantern central power battery got got transferred and uh, transported to Coast City. And how much, how many more issues took place after that happened? So, I just maybe it was my anticipation of the event and hoping it was going to be even more than it was. So maybe, maybe it was unrealistic expectations. But I kind of, I always have thought that Blackest Night kind of peaked maybe before it ended. So, but it was, but I, I have very fond memories of the story. There, there are two. There are two things I'll point to as this being a proof positive. This is a DC universe or a DC universe celebration story. The Black Lanterns themselves is number one because you you mentioned it earlier. If their entire job is to get a rise out of you, how do they do that? By exposition. I mean, I know it's stupid or whatever, but let's say, okay, uh, let's the, why. Why do you put why do you resurrect Jean Loring and put her in her Eclipso outfit? To fuck with the atom. Why does that mess with the atom? Because there's a story there. And that ties into the second reason I think this is a DC Universe story. We had the miniseries. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, JSA, all that stuff. We had the tie-ins for series that were currently ongoing at the time with Booster Gold and Justice League of America and and uh, um, was it The Outsiders or did they just have the one issue? Uh, yeah, but, you know, Rebels, all that stuff. That made sense. But why the resurrected titles if you didn't want to tell stories of the DCU? Why resurrect Catwoman or The Power of Shazam or The Question or Starman, or weird Western tales. They were all was that was that all one month when they came out? I, I believe so. I but thought so too. Yeah. What's 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 more of a shout out to classic DC than a resurrection of a title called the Adam and Hawkman? I mean, you can't get any closer unless you were to say we're going to resurrect Showcase Presents. <laughs> <laughs> like, like this that the resurrected titles were very clearly oh we can do more with this and it makes so much more sense to explore explore the universe and 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 okay well what happens to catwoman what's happening to starman and the question and what's happening to uh you know the weird western stuff and, and like why to bother telling those stories at all when you already had the minis and the tie-ins to the existing series why do the resurrected titles those are celebrations of the DC lore. But we've been rambling for a while. We should probably cover the actual stuff we were meant to cover. We told you we're not going to give you a recap of what's been happening so far. 
But there's a little bit of stuff we do want to get into before we cover uh, Blackest Night number seven. So, Mark, do you want to tell people uh, what we're going to talk about a bit before we start uh, leaping into Blackest Night seven proper? Sure. When we when we were and when we were talking about how what issues we wanted to cover, uh, it seems like forever. <laughs> forever now when you, you and I sat down and, and we're coming up with the blueprint for this and, and very good job as always executing and following through on on the organizational aspect of this chat I mean we we sat down and planned it out but you were the you were the you were the conductor so pat yourself on the back Chad <laughs> I uh, the conductor is nothing without the music sheets in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing without the peons to play the music. Oh, what am I saying now? Uh, <laughs> um, so when we when we decided to which issues we were going to cover, for me anyway, I have really fond memories of Green Lantern fifty and fifty one. Not just because of what some of the Mostly, mostly, I would say, because of the moments in them, but because of how they tie into Green Lantern history. So while we don't want to spend too much time on it because we're covering the main event, and these, there are some things worth noting in this that do have at least a small factor in going forward into uh, the end of Blackest Night and the, the three main issues we're going to cover. So I'm just gonna, I'm basically just gonna go through these r- really quickly. So at this point. Uh, at this point, we've we have we have the deputy the deputy lanterns are already there, and we're at and all every pretty much we're at Coast City, which so like we are, I, I had just mentioned, so much of the end of the storyline takes place at Coast City, and the major conflict here in this issue, besides the the, the joy of seeing the uh, the deputy lanterns all go crazy with power <laughs> in different ways, that they that every everybody everybody in their own way embracing. It, what their power is. So obviously, if you're the Flash, you're not going nuts with the with Blue Blue Lantern power. But the point is, everybody everybody embracing and getting caught up in the moment in pros and cons with their respective powers. But the main threat here in in these in issue 50 and 51 of Green Lantern was Black Lantern Spectre, and this is the Crispus Attucks. Say that eight times quick. Version of the Spectre. So the Spectre, since for those who d- probably know and and I know since I'm cover- – for better or for worse, I'm covering that uh, – <laughs> I have a spinoff on this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm kidding. I enjoy it. The uh, Hal Jordan was the Spectre previously. Hal Jordan was the, pre- the last host of the Spectre before uh, Crispus Attucks got the gig. So this version of the Spectre supposedly wants Hal Jordan back. And so they're, they're basically trying to take out Black Lantern Spectre. So it's what- – some of the cool things that do happen that actually do happen in this issue, we we get our the which justifies this this uh, con fit this con exclusive figure. We actually got a pseudo Black Lantern Hal Jordan because he wasn't really dead, but the Spectre basically was shot the black tendrils into him, and momentarily he was taken over by the Black Lantern power, and we see him in his uniform and everything else. Uh, the uh, Gansett and Sade. The Guardians pretty much rescue Hal at this point, which Hal then returns the favor. And as they try to get rid of uh, the Spectre using the the tip, the trick we already know works by combining different aspects of the emotional, different colors of the emotional spectrum, as long as one's green and having another one of the colors. And I do like the fact that they created a stake, trying to like stake him like a vampire. So they stake, they put this big Green Lantern spike through him, expecting it to break to you know to. Uh, break the tether, break the t- Black Lantern connection, but it doesn't work. 
Why it doesn't work, we get to in a second. Whether you buy that or not is another story, but it fails. So Hal Jordan, Hal Jordan come, take, comes to the he comes to the conclusion going back to Green Lantern Rebirth, and that's another reason why I like this because it's a tie-in. That after Hal got freed from the Spectre, the first thing the Spectre did after that, instead of taking on Parallax, the fear entity, was pretty much uh, get out of Dodge. So Hal speculates that the Spectre, for whatever reason, is actually afraid of Parallax. And Parallax at this point had been split into four the four uh, power batteries, individual power batteries of Hal, Guy, John, and Kyle. Ganth is able to bring those, summon those power batteries. The Parallax is released. And Hal Jordan basically wants to take Parallax and him, willingly this time, to take on the Spectre. He and Sinestro kind of fight over this. To be fair, Sinestro probably would have done better <laughs> in this role. But Hal Jordan you know, willingly embraces the fear entity again. And for the first time in a regular Green Lantern, and certainly in this volume of Green Lantern, and beginning the tradition of having a Parallax appearance in Green Lantern 50, Hal Jordan appears in the, in the big splash page, the end, as Parallax again. Parallax Rebirth was the title of this issue. So, gotta hate those jagged teeth. <laughs> the one thing about it, all the stuff with Parallax by Jeff Johns, a lot of stuff I like, some stuff I don't, the jagged teeth stuff I hate. So that was Green Lantern 50. Uh, Green Lantern 51 continues this battle. It's, you kind of have a you have a little sub battles like which is cute. Larflees and Lex Luthor fighting over the orange cent, orange power battery. Hal Jordan, you know, Hal Jordan takes on the Spectre, pretty much, and it's it's cool because you kind of see fear and will inside the Spectre. With Spectre when he views him using the Black Lantern vision, he sees both those emotions in him. We do find out supposedly why just sticking that spike. The Green Lantern construct Spike, why he didn't break the tether with the Black Lantern connection is because the real Crispus Attucks is buried deep, 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 deep inside this gigantic uh, – the outward appearance, the uh, – I'm missing the word that I really want to use. But that that he, that's the reason why it's just basically a facade out there, that the, that the core of the real – person taken over as a Black Lantern, and the actual Black Lantern ring that matters is buried deep, deep, deep inside the giant uh, physical body of, of this Black Lantern Spectre. Hal Jordan Parallax is able to figure that out. He goes he goes into that core of the Spectre. He uses, of course, the two, the two powers, the two colors he can c- control at this point, yellow for fear, will for green. He, he breaks the tether. Uh, the, Spectre, the Spectre is free. And the Spectre, of course, tries to, which I like. He, he he's getting ready to try to punish Parallax, but and, and actually, first he he wants to deal with Parallax, but he also wants to punish uh, Necron, which we get to at the end. But before that, one of the cooler moments I think in the series is when mistakenly Atrocitus thinks because the Spectre is so full of rage that he thinks that he is basically his long lost uh, rage entity. So he touches him, and momentarily we get. We get a red, a giant Red Lantern Spectre, which did make a good Hero Clicks figure, though I never did get that one. <laughs> um, Nala Hal is kind of like he he accomplished his mission, but and this disappointed me too that he couldn't really free himself from Parallax now because of the fact that so unfortunately it's like a tug of war going on and Car- and Carol's you know Carol's able to help pull Hal Jordan 
basically separate him from the fear entity. Sinestro knows that the Spectre really wants to kill Parallax at this point, so he tries to, he's trying to call Parallax into him, and, and Parallax, the entity, disappears, which is a really cool moment because you have no idea what it means, though it, obvious, it does set up uh, things in Brightest Day and leading into War of the Green Lanterns. Now Necron tries... The Spectre tries to punish Necron, but basically he has no soul. He has he has no soul, and, and and he's not alive. So basically, the Spectre goes right through him, and he can't do anything. And then the, the this issue ends with the universe will die now, hmm. and that cuts directly into Blackest Night. Number seven. Right, you were thinking. I think you might have been thinking about Luke Cage because you kept saying Christmas Addicts. It's Christmas Allen. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. Yeah. You're right. I did say it. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I apologize. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so we start with Blackest Night number seven, and I just already want to stop because, my God, this cover. This, uh, And we'll talk about the covers quite a bit uh, here and the art uh, quite a bit. But, man, the, some of the greatest covers uh, are, are here in the series, including some of the variant covers. But this Blackest Night 7's cover of the Deputy Corps members is pretty friggin' amazing. So well done. Most of the most of the covers in this in this series were really were really cool. I really, including that the one we alluded to, the Necron Rises cover. That mm-hmm. was almost. I think all the covers are good. This one, in all honesty, doesn't do as much for me. Not because it's not beautiful. It is. It's just. It's. I just think it's. It's probably because it's less action packed for me. So I think it does mm-hmm. a little bit less for me. I actually prefer even number six with the new Guardians. The the first, the first official labeling of you know basically all these characters from the, from the different emotional spectrums as the new guardians. Um, so we left off uh, with the universe about to die, the lanterns uh, that have been resurrected by Necron, the Black Lanterns, as well as some that are still technically dead, uh, having been uh, transformed into Black Lanterns by. Um, "Quote unquote," Black Lantern Batman are dragging the remaining guardians of the universe towards Necron. Um, Necron asks one of them, while he has him by the the nape of the neck, "Why did you vow to guard the universe?" To which a guardian replies, "I do not remember." The Light Corps uh, uh, shows uh, up, starts severing connections with Black Lanterns all around Necron, but Necron himself cannot be phased. Um, so they try a, uh, a, they, they try to plan a different, uh, method, but they can't, Black Hand gets involved, uh, and, uh, starts taking him down and him and Atrocitus recognize one another. They get into a fight. Um, Black Hand tries to rip the heart out of Atrocitus, but can't because when you put on, and we'll get to this a little bit later, when you put on the red ring, it replaces your heart. Um, uh, he he. Black Hand goes after Hal Jordan at this point, uh, and uh, he gets saved by Scarecrow. At this point, Lex Luthor, who is uh, bearing <laughs> the orange ring, chooses to go absolutely ape shit with um, his avarice uh, powers. He yanks the ring off of uh, of Scarecrow and puts it on himself. Goes after Mara. Uh, and then 10,000 feet above Coast City, we see kind of the events of Green Lantern Corps coming into the playbook. 
as a massive uh, amount of black lanterns are starting to descend upon the earth. In addition to black lantern Zanshi, yes, a black lantern planet, um, airwave is screwing with John Stewart, and then boof, the Skittle Corps arrives. And uh, there's Guy Gardner and Kyle and Arisi and Kilowog and then a bunch of the other lanterns from all the other cores in tow behind them. They start severing connections as much as they can. It's at this point the um, the various core members, now that they're above Earth, get a message uh, telling each other to cooperate with the other cores. Uh, uh, to uh, get everything taken care of. Meanwhile, down on Earth, uh, Dove is severing connections left and right. Dove from uh, Hawk and Dove. Uh, And she um, doesn't know how she's doing it, but she is. She's just sort of walking through the midst of things and connection severed, connection severed, connection severed. At some point, she gets very close to the Black Lantern power battery when all of a sudden, Necron, let me out. And there's something inside the battery. Everybody else is still trying to subdue uh, Orange Lantern uh, Lex Luthor. Uh, Necron asks the Guardian in his clutches if they have any final words, to which he replies, long live the core. He slices the neck of the Guardian. And um, uh, Black Hand approaches, rips the uh, innards out of the Guardian places it to the ground, a symbol appears on the ground, and Necron says, death to you all, trespasser, rise. And white light erupts from the ground. Um, Hal asks Gant that what's he doing? He says he's he's murdered one of the guardians, he's begun to make contact, and Sinestro says, contact with what? Uh, And uh, a kind of pod of an angelic looking being bathed in white rises from the ground and uh, black hand says, let there, he's, and he said, let there be light. And there was, um, it's shiny. So of course the orange lantern, Lex Luthor wants it. Necron winds up his scythe. He says, all of your lie. I want all of your lives. Invaders die and strikes this being with his scythe. And every single being in the universe feels this pain, except for the one silent panel of Black Hand, because, of course, he's dead. Um, uh, Hal asks Ganthet yet again, what is that? He says, the entity, the living light bestowed upon the universe that triggered existence itself. The Guardians may be the oldest living beings, but life did not begin on our world. Life began on Earth. We buried this fact to keep the entity protected. Sinestro says, as you buried Parallax in the central power battery, as you buried the massacre of Sector 666, and Ganthet responds, it was imperative we did not draw attention to Earth. We did our best to keep humans from the Green Lantern Corps. And Sinestro responds, until Abin Sir, when he was dying, he knew all of this, didn't he? That's why he came to this wretched world. You let my friend die with everyone with me thinking him mad. You destroyed Abin Sir to protect your lies. You let the universe believe life originated on your homeworld to justify your authority. Now, I will justify mine. Uh, he goes after Ganthet a little bit, but as uh, but Necron continues striking the enti- the entity of life, and uh, everybody's feeling pain, so they quickly refocus. Um, 
and uh, Barry asks, why isn't it fighting back? And Hal says, it's the entity. It's like Parallax and Ion, a living power. And in Necron dug it up for us, it just needs a pilot. So he starts flying towards the entity and Sinestro gets in his way and says, uh, uh, I'm alive to lead us out of the blackest night. You had your chance with Parallax. He goes, Sinestro goes up to the entity, says, I demand your power and I'll finally prove to the universe. Foul Sinestro of Gorgar. Uh, destiny awaits. I am the greatest lantern of all, and we see White Lantern Sinestro um, for the first time, which I have a figure of. It is a good figure. It's a great figure. Still has still has the elongated head. For sure. Yes. Um, great issue. I enjoyed it. Uh, big reveal here, and that's the reason I read the dialogue. Uh, for those of you who are uh, more of the of the lantern inclination, they've been talking about. Uh, one of the prophecies is that the Guardian's greatest lie will be revealed. Uh, this is the Guardian's, the Guardian's greatest lie, that life began on Earth and not on Maltus. Um, another thing here that's sort of a cool hint uh, towards past things. Um, what does he say? Okay, so when when Hal says what's go what's Necron doing, Ganthet? Ganthet makes a point of saying he's murdered one of the Guardians. He's begun to make contact. You could have just said he's begun to make contact. The effect would still be the same. They add the he's he's murdered one of the guardians as for a reason. The doorway to death's dimension in Green Lantern lore can only be opened or cracked with the death of an immortal. So that's why they mention this because it's in the it's in the original Necron first appearance, right? One of like an immortal. Was it a guardian or it was just a different immortal? Somebody dies, and that's kind of what tears open the crack to Necron's realm in his first appearance, right? I believe that is correct. Yeah, so that's why they that's why they mentioned that there. Um, but otherwise, man, what do you what do you what do you what do you think? What do you, any thoughts about this one? I've always had I've this is one of my favorite issues. I do. I mean, as much as I as I've said, I think the whole overall event kind of like maybe lost a little steam somewhere once it hit the middle. Uh, there are some really cool moments, I think, in the final two issues of the actual series. And I think, and I don't mean just as like awesome, like double, like splash pages or panels or anything like that. I like the, I like the reveal of the white that, even though there were, there were rumors at this point to begin with that, you know, we, there was going to be another core that wasn't just the seven of the emotional spectrum and added, added two of that to Black Lantern Corps to make eight, that there actually was a ninth. I think it was I think it was kind of a surprise and now I think and we can maybe talk about this when this wrap when we wrap up, that now that we've seen Jeff Johns run on this book as a whole and in his his Green Lantern era as a whole, maybe it's not that surprising really that uh Sinestro kinda of like had his had his moment here. But I think everybody would have suspected it would have been Hal going right. into this, that Hal would so, so I think that was kind of that was kind of a, a cool a cool surprise, and I do like you know the, the guardians as we know the guardians are great at making countless lot keeping countless secrets for the greater good which almost always blow up in their face and turns out to create more problems for themselves. So that was typical, and I think the way it, the the way I kind of like the way Black is Night Seven segues into Green Lantern Fifty Two and thus. Also segueing back into Blackest Night Eight, I just kind of, I just think the beats the way those fit together. Where it's again, it's perfect Jeff Johns, where 
that if you don't have, if you're not reading the Green Lantern issues, the major, you don't miss that much or miss anything that's really related to the events of Blackest Night itself. But if you do read Green Lantern, a lot of you get so much information in Green Lantern 52 that it's really important. But again, you could just pick up from seven to eight, and you, you don't need to know that if you of all you care about is reading the Maxi series. And I think the, I think the way that works, you know, it's got it's kind of like perfect. It's almost like the it's like Green Lantern 52 is is the is the Jeff Con. Green Lantern 52 is a Jeff Con because you get to see stuff behind the scenes that you didn't see if you're just reading Blackest Night seven and eight. But once you but but once you read it, you realize oh. That's that's pretty that's pretty interesting, especially if you're a Green Lantern fan, so you understand the relevance of not just what they're showing you, but some of those some of those things we've been waiting for, some of the reveals we get in that book we're waiting for. So, yeah, quite a lot of uh, big reveals uh, in in Fifty Two. Um, of course, the the first hint of what's in the power battery happens happens here uh if you don't remember the events of green lantern 25 uh, at the end of the sinestro core war um again the art just utterly shines through in every every way shape or form i think every every participant in jl may has mentioned the art at one point or another yeah i just uh it's just really well done across the board Yvonne Hayes, man. Yvonne Hayes is where it's at. That is true. And 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 Doug Monkey obviously does a good job in the in the actual Green Lantern books in this series as well. There are some cool moments, but I would I would agree I would agree that uh, certainly Jeff tends to always have good artists when he's doing these events, and it's it it pays off. It's it's it's. It's worth it. Sometimes it help. It helps adds to the delays of certain projects, maybe, but <laughs> arguably. Uh, but it, it's the finished product is worth it. And Blackest Night, I don't. All kidding aside, Blackest Night didn't have that many major delays. I don't. I don't believe. I don't remember. I think there were some delays, but I don't think there were any major delays in Blackest Night coming out. I don't think. Not not like we've seen yeah. with Doomsday Clock and other events. Yeah. All right. You want to take out on uh, fifty two? I will take on 52. I will try to sum it up relatively succinctly as well. Uh, we begin, they say, 10,000 feet above Coast City, but really, what's going? They're they're really they're still they're just still kind of in space here, which I guess maybe is 10,000 feet, but it just sounds an interesting way of writing it. John Stewart and his band of uh, multicolor lanterns, including Fatality and Kilowog, are trying to make their way to Coast City, dealing with a whole bunch of black lanterns that are. That are there basically trying to be a roadblock to them. But all of a sudden all these Black Lanterns start peeling off and they start heading down to Coast City. And basically there's something that's drawing drawing all the Black Lanterns to Coast City. John kind of like he's, he's talking to Hal via the ring to try to like what what's going on. He goes, oh, it's like a big sh- – it's, it's a big shiny light named Sinestro. <laughs> and now we see where we left off. We see White Lantern Sinestro. Yes, this is my destiny following up on what the white entity said to – was calling to him that, you know, destiny awaits. And we must admit Sinestro does look really, really impressive as a White Lantern. <laughs> the, the uniform is cool, but uh, – so Sinestro, Sinestro, of course, being Sinestro is just all – there is a, some kind of nobility in what he's trying to do, but it's ego. His ego just gets in the way all the time. It's like, you have no, you have no idea the power I now possess, Necron, I'm the 
I am one with every living thing. I am the center of it all. And while he's doing that, <clears throat> being Sinestro, the white entity calls to him. Basically, he's talking to him. And even though he's not, con- you know, if it wasn't a conscious choice, Sinestro pretty much has to listen. And we kind of get an explanation of, you know, how life be- with cool little images of life, primor- primordial waters on Earth, and just we see literally the beginning of life. And, we, and they talk about the first sentient creature in the universe that ever willed itself to move. And, of course, that little thing kind of looks like a shrimp almost in its original incarnation. And, of course, that little thing grew into what we now know. Or had, we had already actually found out in the, in the Sinestro Corps War what that was. But it grew into Ion, which is the entity of the Green Lantern Corps of willpower. And we, they mentioned that the first – basically the, the first – a creature to feel fear that left the oceans and headed headed towards the shore, flew to the shore because it had wings to try. You know that that it fleed for its survival, and because of the emotion of what it felt, fear that little insect became the parallax entity. And I, they and some people I think had an issue with this. They do say do, do certainly tie a lot of the other a lot of the other entities into biblical. Uh, mm-hmm. The biblical stories that you see both both uh, the predator, which is the, the uh, sapphire, the star sapphire's entity, mm-hmm. and the and uh, Ophidian, who is the entity of avarice. They tie those back into the uh, Adam and Eve story. Uh, the, the rage grows from murder. So this the entity that the fear entity, which is going to be revealed as the butcher. Basically, uh, and rage. You said fear. Oh, that's right. I did say fear that time. The rage entity. That is that is the the butcher as we're going to find out that that basically is supposed to be born from the Cain and Abel story, and then they have hope. They mentioned you know the Blue Lantern entity, hope from prayer leads to that, and compassion is offered to us all. And then Adara, Adara, and proselyte. Yes. Yeah. So that so basically then we have one of the coolest images I think of this entire storyline. A double splash page of White Lantern Sinestro saying we live and all the entities of the emotional spectrum surrounding him in their proper order as far as being grouped together. So you have Ion is the center of the emotional spectrum or basically the absence of emotion controlling you, if you will, willpower above Sinestro's head. And on the left, you have Parallax, Ophidian and the Butcher, and you have Adara, Prosolite and the, but- and, uh, the Predator on the right hand side. Of course, at that moment when, he, when Sinestro was all White Lantern out, Necron sneaks up behind him and uses his scythe and splits him down the middle. And Necron's all cocky now. It's like, oh, you cannot hide from me any longer, Entity. And he, he kind of turns he turns his efforts back to you know his plan, which was trying to deal with uh, – to kill the White Entity. We kind of get a diversion here with – with uh, because of what's going on with Black Lantern Zan. She caused you know, wreaking havoc on Earth. So John, good old John, because killing Zanshi wasn't good enough once, he has to do it again. So he, he and his little multicolored lantern task force go to take out Zanshi and blow it up while Hal's basically trying to stem the tide of everything going on in Coast City. Much like what happened with Christmas Allen, got that one right, uh, with that version of the Spectre, D, the John Stewart task force has to go deep, deep, deep inside Zanshi to be able to break to break the – uh, tether and to sever the Black Lantern connection, and it does. So that ends that ends Black Lantern's Anshi, which has a uh, huge effect on Necron. Necron screams, 
when that happens, and a whole bunch of other Black Lanterns just start disappearing immediately. Meanwhile, meanwhile, at that moment, you know, the, the John Stewart's you know lanterns basically are trying to have made their way back to, down to Earth at this point, and they're trying to protect all the pieces of Zanshi from falling and, dis, and destroying Coast City. And at this point, we, we hear Thalax Sinestro of Korrigor live, and Sinestro speaks, Lantern, stand aside. I have been reborn. It's like, I am now the true guardian of the universe. And we see Sinestro bathe in white light with basically the white entity kind of like inside him, or seemingly, maybe symbolically around him. Hal goes, the white light, he's alive! To be concluded in black as night. Numero ocho! Uh... Yeah, good stuff. I like how they sort of put the Zan. I mean, they're forever going to come back to this with John Stewart. It's one of <laughs> it's 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 one of my pet peeves about John Stewart in general. Is they only always come back to like the same three things. One of which is uh, his guilt over Zanshi. But I like how they attempt to try and put the Zanshi stuff to bed here, letting him face down Cat Matui, let him letting him destroy Black Lantern, Zanshi. Um, uh, al- alongside of Fatality, um, you know, uh, who was always going after John because of his uh, his destruction of Zanshi. So they did the best they could to try and put that to bed. And their DC is forever going to come back to that as a almost a, their way of trying to characterize John, which I think is a mistake um, uh, to, to try and mire him in these three or four events of his past rather than moving forward. But you know. That's just me, and that's just my commentary. If you've never listened to this show before, I just think they they, they go back to the well too much with John Stewart. You know, it's either they don't do this as much, but the, you know, it's either the the angry black architect, the the military man, the stoic, you know, serious, super, you know, uh, ex marine, uh, the uh, the guilt he has over Zanshi, and the guilt uh, he has over Cat Matui. Like the, one of those, one of those four things is something they, uh, you know, your your next big arcs with with John Stewart that you ever see, they always rely super heavily on one of them, maybe two of them. I could see uh, um, his architecture and his activism past, as well as his military past. Those are those are his past. It's a big it's a big part of you know who he who he ends up becoming. But to keep bringing up Zanshi and to keep bringing up Katma, it. it 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 gets old quick, um, but that's just that's neither here nor there. So I do like how they attempted to put that to bed. Um, I like how claustrophobic this all feels too. I mean, every everything is happening all at once. Uh, there's not a moment where while things are being revealed, you're not seeing other lanterns just either severing connections or trying to avoid being uh, killed or whatever by Black Lanterns around them. I mean, it's you, everybody is being overrun by waves of either water or death or whatever. I did like the inclusion of Drick. Uh, I don't know if others have mentioned this at this point, but Drick uh, is a Lantern with a very unique background. He's ha- he Before, before uh, Blackest Night began, and I'm talking kind of... When did Drick's original storyline happen? Was that the 80s? I think so. Drick, Green Lantern. Let's see here. Mm. I believe so. 
uh, he something happens to to Drick. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll just read it here from the uh, from the Green Lantern wiki. Uh, Drick was a native of the planet Crick and at some point became a member of the Green Lantern Corps, where he was part of the Green Lantern Corps of Climinde, where he developed a reputation for being a master strategist. During his service to the Guardians of the Universe, his sector came under attack from the renegade Green Lantern Sinestro, who attacked with the full power of the Mad God Sector uh, 3600, which destroyed entire worlds and devastated the protectors of that region of space. Of the few survivors were Flodo Span and uh, Olapet, with Drick himself dying in the event. However, something unusual occurred. Despite having been killed, Drick's Green Lantern power ring would not allow his life energy to depart to depart his body, keeping him half alive and half dead. So, Drick, in in Green Lantern lore has always been half alive and half dead. So when Blackest Night starts, that the the fact that that John did uh, Jeff Johns did not leave that stone unturned was was very interesting to me. That they 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 have a Black Lantern on their side who's kind of giving them exposition into what's happening on the Black Lantern side of things. And the, kind of the same way Dead Man which we'll get to later uh, acts as this as he keeps jumping from place to place. That is true. Anything else about this issue? Yeah, I think... Well, again, from a Green Lantern perspective, obviously we'd been waiting for the reveal of the other entities. Mm-hmm. Because uh, because up to this point, we are obviously we knew about Parallax, and we knew about Ion since the Sinestro Corps War. It was speculated on for a while before it was confirmed that the Predator was going to be retconned into the Star Sapphire entity. And that was confirmed in what Green Lantern forty three that prologue issue uh, the blackest when Black Hand became the Black entity the, the entity of the Black Lantern Corps that was the little exposition there you know the, the reveal about about that so I but the fact that seeing like I think but this was the first this was like the this was the first time that we actually saw what a, what a Ophidian Prozolite and Adara. I thought I said Adara. I didn't say it. Oh, okay. Sorry. I could have, but Adara, Prozolite, the Butcher, and what? And had we seen a was Ophidian hinted at before or no? I'm trying. We had, we had, we hadn't seen Ophidian. Okay. So this was this was kind of a this was kind of a big moment because they had already established that every every color, every core of the emotion, you know, part of the emotional spectrum had a living, breathing entity that represented it. So not only does this give you an explanation, no, obviously they spend a little more time on Parallax and Ion because they are the most important ones for the most part in Green Lantern mythology up to this point. Obviously the pre- uh, the Predator goes back a while before he was tech before it was technically the retconned into being logically to a large extent, but still into that love into entity. Yeah, that was that was a, that was that was a pretty bi- that was a pretty a pretty big reveal, and just the idea of getting the first hint of what some of some of the power that the White Lantern entity was capable of doing. That if you were a White Lantern, what you could do. Obviously, we're going to get more of a taste of that next in the, in the final issue of Blackest Night Eight. But I like the way they they kind of opened the door for that. The fact that basically, if you if you emerge with the White Lantern entity, dying is really not something you got to worry about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. All right, Blackest Night number eight. 
The finale? Cool. All right, guys. We pick up where we left off. Sinestro is facing down Necron. Sinestro rips into Necron, uh, chaining him down, rips his heart out of him, and his scythe falls to the ground. But nope, Necron's not dead. Another random Black Lantern grabs Necron's scythe and becomes Necron. So he's like Ultron, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in response, uh, uh, well... Uh, in response, Necron tries to rip the in the entity out of Sinestro. Uh, Lex thinks this is a fantastic time to grab all the rings to have the power to save his world, but he gets knocked out by uh, Larflees, who uh, slams him over the head with the orange power battery. Uh, and he's like, victory is mine, Baldy, and if you had any hair, I'd take that too. <laughs> and then... Uh, we everybody's uh, minds echo with uh, victory belongs to you only for the moment orange lantern and that moment is fleeting as are your lives as uh, black lantern martian manhunter chooses to make his entrance and fight against the living uh, the cavalry arrives behind him with black lantern firestorm the hawks uh, ralph and sue black lantern superman uh, animal man uh, green arrow uh, just a, a bunch of people. There's Black Lantern Hawk, bunch of them back there. Uh, meanwhile, Hal's brother and his niece and nephew and his uh, his sister-in-law are gathered in their apartment in Coast City. Uh, and, and he says, what's Uncle Hal always say, kids? And they say, no fear. Um, as they're watching all this occur outside their windows in Coast City. Uh, Mara is calling uh, one of the Black Lanterns a tramp. Is that Dolphin? I'm pretty sure it's Dolphin. I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Indigo One makes contact and says, backup is here. Hal says, great, right as their cavalry arrives in form in, in the form of all the Lanterns and all of the other leaguers. I, 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 all the lanterns are kind of easy to point out, but I liked pointing. I wanted to point out a lot of the, the leaguers just and and the the DC universe heroes because of kind of what we said earlier. Uh, there's uh, there's Starfire, there's Gar, there's Fire, um, there's Adam, there's uh, uh, Cassie, um, Cyborg, Black Canary, Booster Gold. Power Girl, Mr. Terrific, Uncle Sam, uh, Jay Garrick. There's Alan Scott over uh, under Hal's armpit. Uh, there's uh, there's Dove. Uh, I mean, there's there's a, a crap ton of, of them over here. That you can actually see some of. One thing that's interesting is Atrocitus is fighting against the Black Lantern inversions. Yes, that, uh, is, that is that is pretty cool. That you can kind of see over there. So that's really cool. Um, but they all. Uh, uh, point their uh, all the lanterns point their individual beams towards Necron as Necron struggles against uh, uh, against uh, the the entity. It does nothing. Uh, and why is that? Um, well, guy is starting to talk. He says because if you think we got the room or ability to galvanize like that, Kyle, you should trade the ring in for a blue one. And he stumbles as he says, "Huh, can't get the the ring to work. Eh, never was in the jewelry anyway." Uh, and how's a guy? He's like, it's dead man, Lantern. I've been floating inside these things and learning Necron is uh, sentient blackness. 
He's the empty space between atoms and planets. Necron can only play patty cake with us because he's created a tether to the land of the living. Black Hand. If you fix Black Hand, you shut the door in Necron's face and lock him in his room. Get his heart beating again. He's like, well, how the hell are we supposed to do that? Hey, you're the superhero. I'm just the ghost with the most. And then that's when a uh, uh, guy gets uh, his control of his body back and kicks uh, dead man out. He's like, whatever, back on track. Hey, Skeletor, beware our power. <laughs> uh, that's another pop culture reference from Guy that you expect out of nowhere because earlier in the series he mentions the Tholian web. Uh, <laughs> but whatever. Um, Necron finally separates the entity from uh, Sinestro. And as the entity is uh, on the ground recovering, Hal leaps toward it, takes control. He says, we all chose uh, we all chose life when given the chance. Um, and uh, and so uh, what is, Barry earlier when he's saving houses, life doesn't give us purpose, Black Hand. We give life purpose. Um, Hal says, I may have some kind of morbid connection to Necron, but I have a stronger connection to life. Superman, uh, Black Lantern Superman says, not after I'm through with you. He says, you do too, Superman. Doomsday put you down, but you got back up. Everyone you think you allowed back did it themselves, Necron. We all chose life when given the chance. He takes the power of the entity and then the Black Lantern rings uh, that are wearing the resurrected heroes, Superman, um, and a, a bunch of the others that turned into Black Lanterns because of the Black Lantern, quote unquote, Batman. Their Black Rings connection sever, but the bodies don't go away. Uh, Star Sapphire, Wonder Woman, Blue Lantern, Flash, their connections to their rings are overring, overridden. As Hal says, we are all connected. And if anyone is, is a part of the White Lantern core, it's us. And you see Kid Flash, and you see Ice, and you see um, well, Wonder Woman, Animal Man, Flash, Green Arrow, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Connor Kent – uh, alongside Hal, all as White Lanterns, pointing their rings and energy at Black Hand. He says, we chose to live again. Now we choose it for you. William Hand of Earth, live. Uh, he does live. He coughs up another ring, this time a white ring. It shoots through the, atmos- uh, through the sky, through a Necron's chest, straight towards the power battery. As Necron says, it burns. And then Anti-Monitor of Quard, live. And a anti-monitor himself is resurrected as he comes bursting out of the central power battery. He immediately tries to take his vengeance against Necron. He says, you're nothing. Go back to your universe, creature. This one is mine. And he dispatches and gets rid of uh, anti-monitor from his sights just as easily as he did the Spectre. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Black Hand is coughing up more and more and more white rings and Necron says, no, you're the trespassers. You are the enemies to existence. And then, bam, let there be light. And then Amon Tomaz of Earth, Jenny Lynn Hayden, Digger Harkness, Hank Hall, Maxwell Lord, Ronnie Raymond, Eobard Thawne, Kendra Saunders, Carter Hall, John Jones, Arthur Curry, Boston Brand, live. And the heroes that will be resurrected at the end of this make their way uh, into the the world resurrected fresh uh, on the heels of those white rings that uh, Black Hand was coughing up. Um, and if you didn't catch all the names, you have Maxwell Lord, you have Reverse Flash, you have Hank Hall, which is the original Hawk, 
uh, you, and I apologize earlier. I said ice. It was not. It's Jade. Uh, or no, it was ice. Sorry. Uh, we have Jade. We have Captain Boomerang. We have Ronnie Raymond Firestorm. We had Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Deadman, and what was his name? Um, what was his his hero name or whatever? Because uh, Black Hand had his own Marvel family during Fifty Two. Was this? What was this? What was what was? Um, Osiris. That's Osiris, his name. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I knew it was Osiris, but unfortunately, I was. The clues you were giving, I thought that's yeah. where you were going, but I wasn't. Yeah. I was waiting for that one thing. It's like, who's who's the guy all the way on the right on, on the splash page? Oh, Osiris. <laughs> yeah. So everybody is staring in absolute shock uh, as these twelve heroes and uh, villains are are resurrected. The first uh, one uh, to see it is Mara as she sees Arthur. Her rage is compromised as she feels love and her uh, red ring uh, cracks and falls apart. Because the red ring replaces your heart, um, Mara falls to the ground. She's going into cardiac arrest. Um, Arthur tries to cradle her. Uh, this is when Star Sapphire and Blue uh, and uh, St. Walker so- show up. Um, she restarts uh, uh, Star Sapphire Carol Ferris restarts Mara's heart with uh, uh, the love connection that her and Arthur share while St. Walker cures her of the effects of the red ring with his blue light. She says, Arthur, are we dead? And he says, no. And they embrace. And God, man, that's one of the, that's probably one of the more beautiful panels there. Just uh, while we're on it with them two hugging. Um, Hawkman looks at Hawkgirl and says, Kendra, are you all right? She says, Kendra, Shyara, Cinnamon, I remember everything. I remember our past lives. I remember our time with the JSA and the Justice League. But most of all, I remember you. She takes off her helmet. Her hair is red. It's Shyara. Um, Everyone feels, you know, welcomes John back. Uh, This is when uh, Firestorm freaks out. It's like, who are you? Get out of my head. Firestorm splits. And it's Ronnie and Jason. And Jason has been, for those of you playing along at home, has been stuck inside of Black Lantern Firestorm ever since towards the beginning of this event when Black Lantern Ronnie Raymond Firestorm took in uh, Jason and forced him to watch as he killed Jason's girlfriend, uh, Jen, turned her into salt. Uh, Adam says, what's, you know, Ronnie's like, Adam, what's going on? Where's Professor Stein? Uh, Hawk is freaking out. Uh, Guy recognizes Maxwell Lord, uh, but not quick enough because Maxwell uses his powers and escapes. Uh, Guy and Guy loses track of him. Uh, Jade runs over and kisses Kyle right in front of his new girlfriend, Sora. Um, uh, Osiris says he wants to go home. Uh, Flash tries to uh take on thon he says i am going home and he's like digger tries to take on the flash he gets punched and uh barry looks around he's like ralph and sue and he says they're not here and barry says why and then oh no this can't be happening and everybody turns to see dead man he's like you can see me this isn't right i'm not supposed to be here and Des- dead man lives boston lives and uh then uh uh Larflees throws uh, the unconscious Lex Luthor to the ground and says, here, um, fulfilling a prophecy that by the end of the Blackest Night, uh, uh, Larflees would give somebody something. Um, and th- because Blackest Night is over, Sade uh, agrees to go with Larflees because Larflees would not give the Lanterns them his help and his light for Blackest Night unless he uh, they agreed to give him his own guardian. Um, 
They also look around and realize that Indigo One and her tribe is gone as long as well as Black Hand. We go over to the Indigo uh, Indigo's uh, homeworld and we see um, Black Hand wearing a uh, uh, chained up just like the other um, Indigo tribe, having his own staff and his own symbol, and uh, he's under the sway. They wrap up Blackest Night and head in tomorrow. There's a crater off of a route in the middle of nowhere, and we see a white lantern, a literal white lantern, sitting in a crater as we head into the next event, Brightest Day. Hell of an issue here, man. So much stuff happens. Um, I should probably extrapolate some of this maybe a little bit because, you know, it's not like next year JLMA is going to be Brightest Day. Uh, So we might as well... We might as well take some of this and run with it. Uh, run with it here. Um, the biggest thing being the white, the the resurrected heroes. They all have a tie and a sort of destiny uh, mission to complete during uh, Brightest Day. So you will see all of these characters again during Brightest Day as they fulfill their various missions. Some of them, uh, if I remember right, are very very. Uh, random almost pointless um they essentially have to earn their life back uh, by completing some sort of a mission yeah that's pretty much, uh, that pretty much sums it up that if they don't if they don't they have they have basically they have they have a challenge and a choice they have to complete there's a re- once they find out what that reason is and if they fail then pretty much well there goes there goes there goes that redo you got <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, Boston's story is probably one of, the, one of the most compellings out of all of those. He ends up falling in love with Dove. Um, it, it, you know, it's it's re- just really well. I've always liked Dead Man, and, and having that focus, I was really excited. That's that's one of the things that pulled me into Brightest Day, and kept me going in Brightest Day despite some of this disagreement I had. Um, the Hawks start talking about their past lives here a little bit. That also ties into Brightest Day. Um, they they play a big part in that uh, and their connection to the star sapphires. The star sapphires um, in the central of their power about the center of their power battery have the original bodies of uh, of um, Katar and uh, and um, Shaira. Uh, the just the original bodies as their sort of embodiment of love that helps power the battery. Um, uh, another thing that happens here, this this in- image with Black Hand, uh, you're you're revealed much later. Uh, I can't remember if it was in Brightest Day or, or even even beyond that. The Indigo power is is never really spoken about here during Blackest Night, but essentially it's a prison. It's its own it's its own version of a prison. It the ring wears the bearer much like the black ring wears the corpse. Um, it, it attaches itself to the criminal and forces them to feel compassion. And it's basically a way of rehabilitating them, but it takes a long ass time. In the meantime, these beings are servants of compassion. So basically every indigo lantern you've ever seen is a m- mass murderer or criminal or criminal in the extreme in some way, shape or form, but who are being imprisoned by the 
indigo light of compassion and forced to feel compassion to make it you know a, you know atone for 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 their various crimes across the universe so that's sort of what is is underway with black hand the indigo one and her tribe has taken it upon themselves to uh rather than kill black hand or do any put him in some sort of other prison they just make him part of their core um and we don't we get then we get that re- we don't get that revealed to the new 52 true um we we do run into anti-monitor later on uh in all of this and he brings back a lot of the black lantern versions of some people after the fact in his own little sort of uh, uh death squad one of which includes death storm um so there's a lot of firestorm stuff that happens in brightest day as well which i also really enjoyed uh but there's a lot of stuff that, that continues their threads further on in the dc universe as you would expect with any massive DC Comics event like this, but so, um, it's just unfortunate it didn't stick because yeah. because Brightest Day almost led, I mean, almost immediately after Brightest Day we ended up getting the new Fifty Two, which is kind of like not only yeah, Flash re- yes that only that that not only does it almost that it does it ruin a lot of where they were going with New Fifty Two, it pretty much makes it all it made it all irrelevant. Uh, but whether, well, where they were going with Brightest Day, the New 52, and Flashpoint and everything makes it pretty much all irrelevant, which sucks. Because I like Brightest Day. I thought I thought the miniseries was pretty interesting overall. Yeah. Uh, um, I do – one of the things – I mean I, I know Necron is dispatched pretty quickly after this. But to have like all these they, – they did this a lot. There were all these moments where you're like – Oh shit! There, the the fix for Necron is here. Like when when the new one of the first moments that that happens is the new Guardians show up and they aim all of their beams of light at Necron or and it, it does nothing, has zero effect. And you're like, oh okay, well that didn't work. And then in one of the issues you recapped, they free the Spectre and you're like, oh shit, Spectre can take care of this. And then <laughs> one word. Be gone. <laughs> the specter just up and disappears. <laughs> like, and you're like, oh, well, that didn't work either. Then the freaking anti-monitor comes back to life, immediately turns on Necron, starts firing all of his power at him, which if you've ever read Crisis, come on. Uh, and Necron's like, oh, then you're nothing. So go back to your universe. This one's mine. And this, there goes the anti-monitor. And you're like, this dude shrugged off the Spectre and the Anti-Monitor. What? <laughs> like, they, they, they do a lot to really showcase how utterly unstoppable, for the most part, Necron is. How much of a force of nature he is. He's not, he's not, a, he's not your, your atypical villain. He's not a super-powered bad guy like uh, the Anti-Monitor. As a matter of fact, you're almost putting force of nature against force of nature in the term in terms of pitting anti-monitor against Necron. And even Necron wins out against that. And it's just like if it didn't happen on the next page, uh, just right after that confrontation with the anti-monitor, you would just think, what could they possibly do? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think again, this goes back to what whether you were just reading the Blackest Night series or whether you were reading some of the Green Lantern issues too. Because if you read Green Lantern forty three, you probably got a hint of what, of maybe what his weakness was. But again, until they introduced the White Entity and the White Lantern Corps, 
finding that weakness didn't mean anything necessarily because you wouldn't know how to exploit it or do anything with it. Yeah. Um, just so many great visuals. I mean, I just I cannot stop looking at the art. Um, Jeff Johns' writer, Yvonne Hayes, is the penciler. Eau Claire Albert and Joe Prado were the inkers. Uh, Alex Sinclair is the colorist. Nick uh, Napoleon, uh, Napolitano is the letterer. Adam Schlagman is the associate editor. Eddie Berganza is the editor. Uh, the cover was by Reese Albert and Sinclair. The alternate cover was by Doug Monkey, Christian Almey, and Randy Mayer. And special t- thanks to Tony Avina. But man, I just there is not a panel in here that I I, I absolutely love Yvonne Hayes's work. And Blackest Nightman is just the, it's the epitome of it. Because I don't think. Uh, look, he he he's been doing work since Blackest Night. He'll do a lot of work during Brightest Day. But man, it, I'm not I'm not trying to say that Yvonne Hayes' work has gone downhill since Blackest Night. But it's very hard for me to look at some, anything he does even now and go, that's better than Blackest Night. I mean, he's had a lot of great moments. Don't get me wrong, past Blackest Night. But in terms of just sheer panel after panel after panel just hit 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 holy crap does it they just just really delivers during blackest night i think that's a good summation of it i and the and the it's not just the quality it's just capturing the tone of the story i think that's something that is that comes across he based again like like i mentioned earlier the idea of taking taking jeff's advice about you know, this is a horror story. Basically, run with that. But don't be afraid, you know, to go dark because it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a horror story. And he does. He goes with it. And I think that the overall atmosphere in the majority of the eight issues of Blackest Nights, and not counting the Zero issue, but but still, even though the Zero issue has some obviously has some pretty dark moments in it too, I I just think yeah it. it the art is fantastic, and, it, and I, it, it's perfectly suited for the story that Jeff wanted to tell. Yeah. Um, there's just so much. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about uh, number eight. But since since we're on art, I wanted to talk about it a bit about the art through the rest of this this event. Um, Lots of fantastic moments. Uh, JSA maybe had one of my favorite moments um, artistically, and and there's a couple. It's it's off in a couple of places here and there, but um, there's a there's a moment in the JSA miniseries issue two where Jesse Quick puts on her Jesse Quick costume instead of her Liberty Bell costume and poses in the rain, and and I thought that always looked very cool. The cover to Starman number eighty one is. Just so consistently one of my favorites, and I am not even that big of a—I don't have like that big of a connection to James Robinson Starman, but holy crap, does that just that cover just grabs me every freaking time I see it. Um, the very the the not only do the covers hit in a lot of these, but the variant covers for a lot of them uh, hit so much more. Um, I just I. I I, it's it's so hard to pick one uh, because you'll be you'll be looking at these 
uh, in the back issue bins, and and because of their because of the the print run of Blackest Night, there's you're going to see a lot of the variant covers um, out out in the back issue bins, and man, is it it's so hard to choose between them in almost every case. This this event was one of the better overall. Not only I think because we like the story, I just think. Just the way it was organized and planned, I think, including the art and, and, and the way they were – and the tone of not just – obviously, we talked about the main series, but you know the a lot of the the miniseries, the individual miniseries for the different groups and characters. Yeah, I, I, th- I think this was one of the, the better events that they've done, certainly, yeah. in the, even in the, in the time period since. I think there, there have been some events that have been cool – and some events have had cool moments, but not. But so many haven't had big payoffs, let alone how they look, or they just haven't had a draw. Whether it's Final Crisis just not really working, whether it's something like uh, what Convergence, that there were some cool moments, and especially again if you're a Green Lantern fan, there were some cool moments in it. But but it just didn't seem like it mattered. And even though some of the art was pretty cool in it, this this just seemed like it was a well organized, well thought out. Event and probably also because of the fact that they knew Blackest Night was going to lead into Brightest Day, which was not going to be as big across. It wasn't going to be as big of an event on any on any level compared to Blackest Night. But the, but they knew they were going to pick up on threads from the storyline directly, f- almost immediately following it going forward because they had they had somewhere else they were going to go with it. So I think that helps too in in the tone and making it that they, maybe that. Maybe that made them put a little more effort into it going across the entire DC line as opposed to just, oh, we just really got to focus on the major series and because and that's all it's going to be. No, they, they, they knew that it was going to – they had bigger plans and, of course, the New 52 kind of – Flashpoint and the New 52 kind of ruined it, but <clears> – Yeah. Um, I did want to ask, what are what are just some of your favorite moments from Blackest Night just as, as – as a way to kind of start the wrap up to this. Uh, I wanted to throw out a few um, myself. Uh, I'd be remiss as the Ragman guy, not to point out the moment from untold tales of the blackest night. Uh, number one, where they gave um, a couple of uh, two pages to a moment um, that they must've been deleted from one of the blackest night main issues because it's written by Jeff Johns with pencils by Yvonne Hayes. Um, I think they mentioned that in the director's cut. I'm, I'm grabbing it now. I'm pretty. Sure, I think that. that let's see if it. You, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna cut you off, but I just want to let you know that I'm gonna look for that to see if I can find where the hell it is. Yeah, it's. Um, you, you see, you see, Rory Regan. Your suit is an ancient patchwork prison of people stitched together by your vengeance. Each rag a different transgressor you've stolen. You may be their jailer, Rory Regan, but we are their masters, and we want your inmates back. As just a whole crap ton of rings fly out of Black Hand and towards Rory, and they attach themselves to each one of the patches in his suit and rip off in different directions as all those different souls that are trapped in his suit of souls just rise. That is such a cool moment. Um, and it's followed immediately by this comedic moment of the Rainbow Raiders agreeing to a suicide pact 
right before Blackest Night begins, but it doesn't matter because nobody gives a shit about the Rainbow Raiders to begin with. <laughs> Enough for them to be resurrected as Black Lanterns and used to toy with people's emotions because nobody cares. <laughs> both, both of the, both of the, the scripts for those. Because I was going to mention the Rainbow Raiders scene too, that they both are in the section of the director's cut. Uh, there's a two-page section that says scenes from the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. And they just have deleted Rainbow Raiders seen by Jeff Johns, and they have, which is a lot less. Obviously, it's it's a small. It's there's not much to that, but they have much. There's much more script uh, to the deleted Ragman scene. So I'm going to only assume that. Well, see, it's it's kind of hard because they say this is this is overall this is black this is Blackest Night, um, the Blackest Night director's cut. They don't say it's black. You know, they don't say it's like ish, just for issue one. It's an overview. So it's yeah. so obviously. It was supposed to be part of the series, not necessarily the first issue, but it definitely was supposed to be in in Blackest Night proper, I guess we can say, at some point. Yeah, I just I love it. Like the the Rainbow Raiders are like the, the dead are taking over the earth. Here's to being on the winning side. They all take their suicide shot. They collapse to the ground dead, <laughs> and the panel of them just zoomed in of, of them all, their bodies on the ground, is the Flash saying, as far as we know, only the dead with emotional ties to us are rising. The rest are staying in their graves. <laughs> yep. That's what it says <laughs> on the script, like, yep. Oh, God, that's hilarious. Uh, uh, the Adam and Hawkman, that issue, um, all the stuff that happens between him and Gene while he's trying to protect um, uh, Indigo 1 from sending out uh, a message um, uh, to to all the lanterns to tell them to come come to earth that was just a great a great moment um, man I don't, I don't know where else I don't know where else to go with it quite honestly uh, the, 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 uh, the adventure comic stuff with Superboy Prime was always really interesting to me. Um, personally, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I feel like I'm rambling at this point. And and of course the 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 just if you get a chance, man, the art in the Wonder Woman uh, miniseries by Nicholas Scott was just uh, always always really knocking it out of the park. And it, it, it did not uh, hurt a bit that Nia uh, Nay Rufino was doing the colors for that. Because I don't remember. Not only was the not only was the art really beautiful, but the colors really pop in uh, in this uh, Wonder Woman mini. And and the 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 fight between Wonder Woman and Red Lantern Mara, and you know how how they interact with each other in that uh, that was just really cool. I think there were I think there were many memorable spinoffs in this. I do. Even, I like the Superman one. The Superman was, I think, one of the most impactful. I remember. I, I that's the one. That's one of the ones that stands that stands out to me. Uh, of of all of them, I think that's the one. I think some of the Batman. I think the Batman one might too. I do kind of remember that one. But I, it was yeah. I this was a really really good event, and again, probably because it was the absolute. You know, Green Lantern's never been. This was the peak of that. Golden Age of Green Lantern, the modern Golden Age, anyway, that we've had of Green Lantern from probably 2005 through, through maybe 2010 or 11, uh, that this was a pinnacle. So I think that, 
it's it's real easy to look back and have fond memories. I was just by looking in some of these books just reminds and I and of course I can get reminded anytime I want by seeing all these cases I have of these things downstairs. But all the Blackest Night action figures they had, mm. all the waves after waves after waves of those figures that they had. So this was yeah this was a big deal and they knew it was a big deal and they put it together and marketed well as a big deal and. I guess it surprises me that some people really don't like this event, but if you're just really just, but if you're, but I, if you just only see it as events should be like, a, you know, as a, as a team kind of thing, like a team, they should be wrapped around a team, not, not maybe more character specific, then mm-hmm. I guess, then I guess I could see a little bit of the pushback to it, but. There's also the people who who don't like it just because of how bleak it is uh, and, and how dark True. Uh, the story is. Uh, and, and to that, you know, I, I, I did want to kind of bring up uh, the intricacy of this. This isn't just a horror story. I mean, it is. Don't get me wrong. But the the way the rings interact, there's some thought put into to this this uh, this stuff uh, in here. You the when someone becomes a, a Red Lantern or a Star Sapphire, those are the extreme ends of the emotional spectrum, and they react in extreme ways. Um, so the and and like for instance, uh, in the some of the way the the different cores interact with each other. Uh, the Blue Lanterns, for example, they can't do anything offensively without a Green Lantern nearby. Why? Because without the will to do something, hope doesn't have any effect for the most part. I mean, you know, you can you can debate that all you want in terms of, um, you know, theoretically or whatever. But without the will to take action, hope is just that hope. So only when a Green Lantern is around do the Blue Lanterns fully power up and can deal deal some damage. Uh, additionally, when the when hope uh, when the blue lanterns are around the green lanterns, they can supercharge the green lanterns because hope gives uh, will something to fight for. Um, which, of you co- know, which of course they retconned after the fact, as we found yeah. out that they are, they're capable of on their own. They're capable of of basically. I think the way they as we were supposed to take it as things. Mo- you are correct. As as they introduce more stuff, but I think that was like the default power, kind of like when Kyle had the Blue Lantern ring in the War of the Green Lanterns, and he had, and, and and not that he wanted to, but he was amping up all the Green Lanterns they were fighting because he couldn't control it. I think that's a default in the blue. And as we found out, they were capable. Like in uh, Lights Out, we found out they were capable of 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 upping in the uh, Indigo Tribe power, so Kyle could get them out of there. So there's every reason to believe they could amp up. Love too, and we found out. Though it was painful for Saint Walker to go through the process, that he was also capable of doing the same, using a, based on a more complex relationship between fear and hope, that he was able to do it. So it's very possible, and I think there was another story in the future that what that talked about that that inferred that the idea that basically Blue Lanterns could probably amp up every core under the right circumstances, but. Stop tearing down the logic I'm trying to put in. Uh, <laughs> no, that, uh, trying it, to make a point here. Your point, and, and that point was, and I was going to say this too. I thought the explanation they gave about 
about that, about how you could, you need that, you needed that element. The way they were, first, not just because that was a really good explanation. And also, we also know that Gansett created, Gansett and Sade created the Blue Lantern Corps to supplement the Blue Lantern Corps to supplement the Greens. So it makes perfect sense that their powers would work in tandem and feed off of each other and help each other. That made perfect sense too. But I, I like that explanation that hope by itself it's kind of it's it's not meaningless, but it's po- relatively powerless. You need the will, you know. You need the will t- to take action and to go forward to take that hope and do something with it. And that's why that's why they work well together. So yes. Um, and, and just to continue on, you know, violet can heal reds. That's we you know kind of we we see that with um, with uh, Mara and uh, and Carol Ferris when Mara sees Arthur. Uh, because the only way to calm down and, and stifle, you know, someone's rage is to kind of combat it with the opposite side of the spectrum with love. Because of the tether blue, too, the emotional tether connection that they, that sapphires use. Yeah. yeah. And blue can, uh, assuage orange. We see that a moment when, uh, in, in, in a prior Green Lantern issue where, uh, St. Walker kneels in front of Larflees and his hunger sort of abates for a little bit. Um, and indigo can mimic, uh, other lantern lights when it wants uh and tap into their spectrum because you know compassion you you feel what others feel and 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 you're compassionate and you empathize with them uh a lot of a lot of the interactions that the various cores have with each other uh and the way the the rings interact and the powers interact and the, even the way the emotional spectrum is arranged you know rage and 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 love are complete uh, emotional opposites they're also complete color spectrum opposites uh, it, as a result the opposite of of greed is hope uh, or i'm sorry the opposite of greed is compassion uh the opposite of fear is hope i mean and, and you know that it it just it just made a lot of sense the way he arranged it the way he made sure that these things interacted the way he tried to put rules on all of this and and so it just wasn't a big cluster F. I mean, there's there was so much thought and 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 stuff put into this, and you know, even Jeff himself has, you know, personal uh, a personal story uh, with death. You know, his his uh, his sister, who he modeled Stargirl after. You know, um, it was said at one point, uh, I think by Jeff himself, that he sort of Blackest Night was him sort of working out some of his thoughts on death. So there was so much more to this story than just a straightforward, grim horror story. Oh yes, absolutely. And you could just you could feel it reading it. I felt, and I just I just think that's part of what makes it so iconic. And uh, man, I I mean, despite the fact that time just moves so fast in general, like man, is is I can't believe it's been ten years. On some level, I can because I just going back from everything that's. Personally, I can go back and think everything that's changed in my life from 2009 till now. I could definitely – it does – on one level, it, it, which is how time works as we get older, that on some level, yeah, it seems like, oh my god, it was just yesterday. But on some level, it's like, wow, it really, there's so much that's gone on since then. And I think for Green Lantern fans, again, I think Black, Blackest Night's always going to be special because of – you know, this was like our event, you know, that this was a whole DC – and very well publicized too. It wasn't, you know, it got it got a lot of coverage. You know, it got mainstream coverage and things like that too. And between you know, 
I just think that that is what where we where we where we were from, especially if you're a Hal Jordan fan too, from where you were from like Emerald Emerald Twilight going forward. But just the way you know Kyle's book started petering out, and the the, the decision to go back to Hal and Green Lantern Rebirth, and how well received Green Lantern Rebirth was, and going and going forward, and just how how. How strong that fran that be- it became a brand, it became a franchise. Uh, obviously, it's at the moment it's not. Again, it's pretty much down to one book. But for a while, what what do we have? We had four or five books, I think, at the peak when you count the Sinestro book and everything else that came out post. You know, in the, what the New Fifty Two era, anyway. At one point, you had that many, you had that many books, Green Lantern or Lantern related, that were being published at the same time. And this all was the build up from and post post. Blackest Night, and how, and it wasn't just how you look, like we mentioned before, like Sinestro. I mean, Sinestro became such a big player across the DCU when he, when obviously he had been way, he'd been off the board and hadn't been a big, even before he was off the board, you know, going back to Emerald Twilight time, uh, that he, even from that point going forward when he was quote unquote dead, that he really wasn't being used. So his, so his, and how he was being used, kind of like like oh, I'm not gonna say he was like Black Hand like entirely, where Black Hand was kind of like a joke, but it's been a long, but it's been a long time since Sinestro was relevant, and you read, you look at the Jeff Johns run, which I alluded to before, you can make a strong case that if you look at everything that he did and the way he wrote these characters, that in a way everything from Green Lantern Rebirth to the end of uh, Wrath of the First Lantern was. Uh, Arguably, one could make the case it was just about Sinestro as much as it was about Hal Jordan, or it was almost an equal equal story that he was telling since he put so much emphasis on Sinestro and trying to make Sinestro more of a complex hero or a fallen or a complex villain or a fallen hero, and playing up the elements of Sinestro that made him less horrible. So I think that was an interesting choice. So. And you saw that obviously in the series with the decision to make that he was the White Lantern. He was—I mean, Hal got to be a White Lantern too. But at the time when there was only one White Lantern and the, and the entity was entirely inside one person, Sinestro was the one who did it. So, and I think that—and bo- I think that's kind of what bothers me a little bit more about when Hal took Parallax back into him that it, wa- that it wasn't as effective. You know, you thought this was a cool moment, maybe almost like a redemptive moment moment too for Hal because now he knew what he was getting into and he was doing this on purpose on purpose to accomplish something and he's and at least have him be able to control parallax better and you can make a case maybe he did until they took care of the specter and then it all went downhill but I kind of thought that that was it was again a negative reflection on Hal as and as we saw obviously even Sinestro as a host of the parallax entity was able to do a better job for a certain period of time he would have while they did acknowledge he would have lost control over it too over time, because of his control of fear, he was more, he was correct. He was more aptly suited for that task to being able to use it as to use it as a weapon, as we've seen multiple times since, as opposed to just hoping that it's like kind of like the Hulk in the Ed Norton version that I can't control it, but kind of like steer it, like you just point him in the right direction, and hope it does what it wants. That's kind of what Hal was seemingly really essentially hoping to do, or or the end result was that. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, you know, as the last, as the last, uh, podcast to join this, uh, this big event and close things out, we should be saying more, but 
I mean, uh, I, I think we said all we all we can. Um, is there anything else you want to say about the event or the issues we covered tonight? I think, generally speaking, I'm just trying to say something obviously, something something deep and uh, wise that I haven't already tried to at least imply during the show. Uh, it's just something that's very very memorable memorable to me. I have a lot of attachment to the story and the build up to it. Where I was in my life at the time too, it just it it just wasn't it just is important and I guess in a way sometimes I think I think for better or for worse I think that sometimes like that colors my view on where we are in Green Lantern because you see such a dramatic difference you know how how relatively unimportant Green Lantern as a franchise currently is uh, yes we have Grant Morrison for as long as he stays in the book so we do have a big name writer arguably a bigger We've talked about this on our show. Arguably the biggest name writer we've had on this book ever. Certainly since Jeff Johns left, but arguably him taking this book, he, that he was bigger than Jeff Johns was when Jeff Johns, you know, even came on Green Lantern Rebirth. As far as the name recognition is like, oh yeah. So, but I miss, I miss the days when you were looking, you really looked forward to whenever the next issue came out. Whether it was of the miniseries, the maxi series, or just Green Lantern in general, that you were looking forward to the next issue because it was just, at least from my perspective, it was just that interesting and just that good. And it's been a long time since actually I can honestly say I've been really excited on a general, on a regular basis, once in a while for a particular issue you might. But it's been a long time since I've had that kind of overall enthusiasm. So, For sure. I would agree with a lot of that. Um, Blackest Night was my first free comic book day. It was my first big event. It was right in the, as I was getting into Green Lantern. It was right as I was getting into comics. It was going to be a big uh, nostalgia point uh, for me, and it was going to uh, be something I wanted to push hard uh, to celebrate and cover the 10th anniversary. And regardless of if you were a hundred percent positive on it, a hundred percent negative on it, or somewhere in between. I, I, I don't think you can deny that uh, Blackest Night is one of the last uh, big, massive, successful, uh, you know, line-wide crossovers that DC has had in quite a while, and it was uh, uh, quite a thing to behold as it was coming out. So, if you guys are listening to this uh, episode and you want to listen to more uh, Blackest Night coverage, I'm going to give you the entire list of everything that has been covered or will be covered. Uh, for JL May 2019 as we finish this up. Um, the podcast of OA covered Blackest Night Zero and Green Lantern number 43. Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill covered Blackest Night 1. The Idlehead of Diablo covered Blackest Night 2 and Green Lantern 44. The Fire and Water podcast covered Blackest Night number 3. Head Speaks covered Blackest Night number 4. Coffee and Comics podcast covered Blackest Night number 5. The Longbox Crusade covered Blackest Night number 6. We, of course, covered Blackest Night 7, Green Lantern 52, and Blackest Night 8, the finale. Waiting for Doom will be covering uh, Doom Patrol number 4 and number 5. Task Force X covered the Suicide Squad issue and the Secret Six issues. Uh, Justice's First Dawn covered the Justice League issues. Coffee and Comics also covered the Adventure Comics for uh, the Adventure Comics issues, as well as the Untold Tales of the Blackest Night issue. The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour covered Starman number eighty-one. 
The Dr. DC podcast covered Booster Gold 26 and 27. The Birds of Prey podcast covered the Blackest Night JSA miniseries. The Bat Pod covered Blackest Night Batman the miniseries. The Absolute DC podcast covered Blackest Night the Flash miniseries. And it all comes back to Superman covered Blackest Night Superman the miniseries. Uh, as I speak, those words, some of those podcasts have not yet released their episodes. But if you are looking for a comprehensive list of where to find all the links to all those episodes, go to LanternCast.com. Look up the post. It should be on from May 29th called JL May 2019 celebrating the 10th anniversary of Blackest Night. And you will see a complete list, uh, complete with links, so that you can find each and every one of those episodes. Uh, also, follow the hashtag JLMay on Twitter. Uh, and make sure to uh, like and retweet and give this as much exposure as possible. Because not only are we celebrating Blackest Night and its 10-year anniversary, so are a lot of other people, including DC Comics themselves. As within the next few days, as I say these words, I think maybe two or three weeks, they will be releasing a Blackest Night hardcover omnibus featuring every single issue involving Blackest Night. Every resurrected title, every mini, every tie-in. As far as I'm aware. That's a pretty impressive volume. It's a $150 volume. Well, that's, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure I didn't just talk out of my ass there. Uh, so let me pull this up over on Amazon. It is the 10th anniversary Blackest Night Omnibus. It comes out June 11th. Right. By the way, guys, it's cover priced at uh, $150. Right now on Amazon, as I record this, it may go up as you hear this. It's on pre-order for ninety-one twenty-one. I know that's still a lot of money, but it's not one hundred and fifty dollars. So if you want to save money and get this thing, I'd get it uh, as soon as possible. So kind of just you know, just FYI, guys. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out. It doesn't say. Okay, collects Adventure Comics, Blackest Night main series, Blackest Night Batman, Blackest Night Flash, Blackest Night JSA, Superman, Tales of the Core, Titans, Wonder Woman, okay, so that's the minis, Catwoman Green Arrow, uh, Phantom Stranger, Starman, Suicide Squad, The Adam and Hawkman, The Power of Shazam, The Question, Untold Tales, Weird Western Tales, okay, those are the resurrected titles. It collects all the Green Lantern issues, and it collects all the Green Lantern core issues. Okay, so it doesn't collect the tie-ins. By that, I mean uh, Doom Patrol, uh, Justice League, Outsiders, um, those series that were currently ongoing that just so happened to have a Blackest Night tie-in. The tie-ins aren't there, but the Resurrected titles, the Blackest Night main series, the Green Lantern tie-ins, the Green Lantern core tie-ins, and the miniseries are all a part of this, which is still that's, – that's about as close to complete as you're going to get without uh, paying to have the series bound. That's true. All right, Mark. Uh, I've given the rundown of where to find all the, the JLMA – Participants, do you want to tell people how they can reach us in the future? Yes, if we haven't scared those people off. <laughs> and actually, we might be talking more about our regular listeners than anybody who just jumped on. Uh, website is lanterncast. 
lanterncast.com. Our email is lanterncast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter and Facebook. You can use hashtag geocast to locate us and reach out to us in either of those. iTunes and Stitcher, we are on both of those. So, we, so if you listen to us or want to listen to us on either of those platforms, please leave us a positive review after you do. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail in general about this event, about asking questions about anything about the show, stuff you'd like to hear on the show, or just anything at all, 708-LANTERN is the voicemail. 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in, everybody who did. I hope you enjoyed JL May 2019. Somebody else will take the reins next year, but we look forward to JL May 2020. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Have a great night. Good night, everybody.